Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. This morning, one of the things that's going to be talked about a great deal between now uh, and, and next Sunday is the busyness and the hustle and bustle of all the last minute things in this week leading up to, to Christmas. And, you know, you might think that the rush ends there, but it doesn't. Because the day after Christmas begins the rush to return. To return those things that you received that just weren't you. Those gifts that surprised you maybe that you got them. You didn't ask for them. You just, you just, somebody just gave them to you. One of the things I read uh, this week were um, some statistics about uh, returning gifts and those kind of things. One of the things that uh, was stated was that... Um, estimates are that people return about one-third of the gifts they receive now for me personally I thought that was kind of high but then when I think about uh, I, I tell people what I want so there's not you know a, a chance of a lot of things getting returned and um, the other thing uh, statistic that I read uh, tells us that um, uh, about one-third of the presents we received are surprises that we didn't expect them and it's interesting to me that those kind of numbers kind of correlate and it seems like what we do is we return those things that we weren't expecting um, and so here's what I'd like you to do just take a moment and uh, tell the person close to you you may have to reach out across the aisle or something but tell someone close to you uh, a gift that you knew the moment you opened it that you were going to return it here's a warning make sure the person who you're about to speak to was not the giver of that gift. Okay, go, take a minute to do that. Everything. Now while I could overhear some of those, and some of those are interesting, by the way, um, one of the things that I know is that, you know, we're, we, we tend not to like those surprises as much as we like the things we tell people we want. I read about some surprise gifts that some people have received, some, some wives have received. Um, one wife uh, reported that she, one Christmas from her husband, received a year supply of Nutrisystem food. I wonder what got returned that Christmas. You know, him or the food. Uh, I heard about a, a, another uh, wife who uh, said that her husband uh, bought her a, a mood ring back in the mood ring days. And uh, that she realized that it was, to, you know, to serve as an early detection device. Um, so he would know what was going on. And uh, she tried to send him back instead of the ring. But, you know, one of the things that, you know, I know about uh, just some of the things that were shared is, you know, surprises sometimes don't work out very well. Now, here's what I want to do uh, this morning is I want us to take this idea of surprise and kind of overlay it on parts of the Christmas story. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 1 and 2 today for the most part. So if you want to grab your Bibles and turn there, we're, we're going we're gonna to head there in, in just a second. Um, but I want to remind you of what God did at Christmas. Probably the most uh, often recited passage of Scripture in all of the Bible is John 3.16, I think. One of the best known would be John 3.16. And it tells us that God so loved the world that he gave. He gave, he gave Jesus. He gave, he gave his son. He gave Jesus as this great gift. Now, Jesus was not a surprise. From the moment sin entered the world, God began speaking of sending a Savior. You go back and look in Genesis chapter 3, first kind of prophetic word about uh, the need for a Savior that, that would come. He was going to be Messiah. So we knew the gift was coming. And so the fact that God gave us his son was not a surprise it, uh, but what was a surprise that first Christmas was how the details of how God gave us his son the ways in which God gave us his son 
some of them are not only surprising, but frankly, can be very shocking. See, th this is Jesus, the Son of God. He, he's God in the flesh, come to earth. And there are certain things that, humanly speaking, we would have thought would have taken place uh, around such an incredible uh, uh, event. That there would be some kind of extravagant royal, royal welcome. That there would be shouting like you guys did a moment ago and almost gave your pastor a heart attack. No. Um, the, uh, you know, there just all these kinds of things, certain things that you would expect to accompany such a grand moment because all of human history has been building for that moment and all of human history hinges on, on that moment. Yet what we find as we read the Christmas story, it's filled with one surprise after another of the humble circumstances under which Jesus was born. And so I want to look at some of those surprises because those surprises, I believe, show us just how much, how deep your Heavenly Father's love is for you, how much Jesus loves you. So I want us to think about that as we look at some of the aspects of the Christmas story. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to start reading from Luke chapter 1, and I want to start in verse 26. Luke gives us this information. He says this, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God, now Elizabeth is a cousin to uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Now I want to pause there. So just let's push the pause button for a moment. Because I, I want you to think about this, God sending this angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Now, already the Christmas story is kind of surprising, kind, kind of shocking. Uh, that, that Nazareth, you know, Gabriel knew the prophecies. He knew uh, all about, you know, that God was going to send his son. I don't know whether he knew Nazareth was going to be the place where he was going to be sent to start with, to get this whole chain of events rolling. So I could just imagine God saying, Gabriel? It's time, buddy. It's time. We're there. You ready? You ready to go? And Abraham says, yes, sir. I'm ready to go. Where am I going? Nazareth. What? Not, not Athens? Not, not Rome? Not at least Jerusalem? Nope. Nazareth. Go find Mary. She lives in Nazareth. And so he sends Gabriel. I don't, maybe Gabriel didn't expect it. Maybe he was surprised by that because Nazareth is this very small town. The, the whole coverage at that time would have been about 10 acres, not, not a big place at all, with just a couple of hundred people, no sewage. Life expectancy there was, at that time, was in, in the mid-30s. Uh, babies that were born, about half of them died of natural causes. It was just not an impressive place, not some place that you would take notice of, that you would look to. So already, the beginning of the Christmas story goes to a place that's surprising and then it gets even more surprising keep reading starting uh, in verse 27 it said god sent the angel gabriel to nazareth a village in galilee to a virgin named mary she was engaged to be married to a man named joseph a descendant of king david gabriel appeared to her and said greetings favored woman the lord is with you so not only does he go to this podunk town, he goes to this poor teenage girl. You know, it, it's, it's just kind of shocking, the selection that God made, because there was nothing about Mary from kind of a human perspective that we would sense that God would choose her, because she wasn't prominent in the eyes of the world. I did a little reading this week about what we consider to be prominent people. Some of you know that at the end of the year, there are all these lists that come out. Um, and one of the things annually that Forbes magazine does is Forbes magazine lists um, like the top list of powerful and influential people um, in our world. And uh, one of the, the years that they did that, they, they actually gave a list of the criteria that they, that they used. 
And so just listen to these and think about Mary as I read them. Here's, here's their, their four kind of criteria for selecting the most prominent people in the world as they see it. Number one, how many people do they have authority over? In other words, what kind of power do they have? Number two, what kind of financial resources do they have access to? How much, how much money do they control? Number three, do they have influence in more than one sphere of influence in, in our world? And number four, how actively do they wield the power that they have? How, how often do they use it? How engaged are they with the power that they have? Now, that, that criteria is what our world uses to say, that's a person of influence. That's a person of power. That's a person of prominence. Lay that over the life of Mary. No power, no authority, a poor peasant girl, no, no financial resourcing. Mary and, and Jesus' stepdad on the earth, Joseph, they were so poor that, uh, you know, part of the law of Moses that they lived under at the time required that when Jesus reached a certain age that they would dedicate him in the temple. And when they had to do that, uh, the law said that you needed to buy a, a lamb to sacrifice. And they were too poor to buy a lamb, so they, they had to resort to plan B, option B, which was kind of you, two little birds. That was all they could afford. And I don't know if you catch kind of the surprise in this, that they couldn't afford a sacrificial lamb for the one that would become the sacrificial lamb. It was just surprising from the, the, the world view, if you would, the way the world thinks of prominence. And Joseph, he, he was no different than Mary. He, was, he wasn't a ruler or a king. He was just a simple, a simple con, uh, contract worker, a carpenter, if you would, a construction worker. And there's nothing about Mary or Joseph who, that would capture, you know, uh, any thought uh, if somebody was reading their resume there was nothing that would stand out so it's surprising that Mary and Joseph are the people that God chooses in this little backwoods town of Nazareth and then it gets even more surprising as you read the Christmas story again from eyes of, of viewing it from the world we'd assume you know that once Mary finds out that God has miraculously blessed her with a child in her womb that with that kind of pregnancy everything would go smoothly from here on out wouldn't it i mean you would just from human you know mindset you would think you know she's carrying the son of god so surely this has got to be an easy pregnancy god's going to take care of all the details but if you read the christmas story with fresh eyes trying to look at it the way the world would view this that whole deal was like a train wreck, man. It was just, it was unbelievable. She's in her third trimester when all of this begins to take place. And the empire of Rome declares a, a worldwide census because Rome basically ruled the known world of the day. And everybody had to go back to the place of their heritage birth where their parents grew up and were born, kind of. And it created massive population shifts so if you go over to Luke chapter 2 and read there in starting in verse 1 we read these words at that time the time that Mary was about to deliver the, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire this was the first census when Quirinius was the governor of Syria all returned to their own ancestral towns to register for the census and because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea, David's ancient home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, his fiancée, who was now obviously pregnant. Mary and Joseph had to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And they didn't have a, a car to hop in and drive. This was a walking thing for them. And it's a difficult journey for anyone, much less uh, uh, an expected mom close to her delivery. And just, you know, as you were thinking, it, it, it wouldn't unfold that God somehow would have, you know, 
held, held at bay the census or, or changed the circumstances. It seems like, from human perspective, the timing couldn't have been worse for them, uh, for, for Mary especially. And, and think about what that journey was like. This expectant mom. See, normally doctors recommend that expectant moms don't, don't travel extensively in the last trimester um, of, of their, you know, their, their pregnancy. In fact, I read in one place that uh, if a woman is in her third trimester and she's wanting to fly internationally, some airlines have a written policy. They don't use it very often, but they have a written policy that, that states that if you're in your third trimester and you want to fly internationally, you have to get a note from your doctor that you will not go into labor for 72 hours. Now, I'm thinking, what doctor could sign something like that? Who, who, which is probably why they don't enforce that very often. But I also, as I was kind of reading about these kind of things and Googled some information, I Googled, what advice is there for expectant moms who need to travel? Uh, during the last trimester. And um, I was talking to the Fishers. They're leaving for uh, Germany uh, this week. And we'll actually, they'll actually be flying out Christmas Eve. And she has just stepped into her third trimester of her pregnancy. And she said, that, you know, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some of this advice you, or, 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 that I'm about to give to y'all. Uh, but anyway, here, here's some advice that's on, online. Traveling expectant moms need to find ways to reduce stress by scheduling more time for the trip than normal. It said, ladies, I didn't, I didn't write this. It says, bring your sense of humor because hormones may leave you ready to scream or cry. So instead, just relax. Number two, eat smart. Missing meals can leave your baby hungry and feeling you feeling sick or faint. So before you travel, pack plenty of healthy, portable snacks in your carry-on bags such as nuts and dried fruits and granola bars. Number three, make frequent stops at bathrooms. Plan for these and rest stops. You may find yourself in more need of a bathroom than you ever imagined was humanly possible. Number four, stay comfortable. When you're driving, make sure you take breaks at least every 90 minutes for stretching and walking around. Now, if you were to apply those four, just those four, there were others, but just those four suggestions to Mary's life, there were no rest areas. There were no bathrooms. There were no granola bars or dried fruit snacks or peanut butter. You know, there, were, there was none of that stuff. The, the timing could not have been worse from a purely human perspective. And I just, you know, as I tried to put myself in, in that position, I could see myself saying, God, really? Now? We got we to gotta take this trip? Now, I know that some of you are feeling sorry for Mary, and rightfully so, I, I do too. But I also feel sorry for Joseph. You know, as a man who, when we're traveling, I want to get there. And I have a time frame in mind. And if I pass somebody, I don't want to be passed by them later because I stopped at a rest area. You know? It's just, it's just kind of that, that thing. So these were not going to be optimal traveling conditions to, to Joseph either. You know, he, he wasn't going to think that. Now, and here's the added stressor to both of them. She was carrying the Son of God. The Bible tells us God's only begotten Son, His one and only. There's a lot of pressure in all of that. And this is all so surprising. But the biggest surprise, I think, is when, when they get to Bethlehem. And you know the story. There's no room for them. There's no place for them to, to lodge, no place for them to stay. And again, my guess, it probably took them a little longer than other people who were traveling to get to their appointed destination for this census. And so Bethlehem filled up. And there was, you know, everybody else beat them there. Now, by the time they're there, Bethlehem's overrun with people. Listen to this from Luke chapter 2, verse 6. It says, and while they were there in Bethlehem, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth. 
to her firstborn child, a son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, laid him in a manger, because there was no lodging available for them. There was no room at the inn, as some translations have said. Now, again, from purely human eyes and thinking about this story, doesn't it seem like since God knew back in Genesis chapter 3 that he would be sending his son millennia later that he'd have made some reservations? You know, just made a place available for this, for this, this moment. And because that wasn't done, Jesus ended up being literally laid in the feeding trough for animals as his first cruel crib. I just, you know, it's crude, this story. And I think we hear this story and we've heard it so much and so often that the surprise in it gets lost in, in parts of this story. And in fact, we've given it this kind of, you know, painted Norman Rockwell feeling to it. You know, all is calm and all is bright and you know, we set nativities up. We've got nativities all over our house, and, and I love them, and we, we play the music. And uh, some of you, I, I, can't, I can't handle it, so we don't do the scented candle things. But a lot of people love the, the scented candles of Christmas, the, the apples, and the, you know, the cinnamon spice smells, and all of those kinds of things. Friends, if, if you really want it to be captured by real Christmas, you'd have needed a nativity candle. You know what a nativity candle would have smelt like? It would have smelt like shepherd sweat or camel dung, you know, or, or donkey odor. I mean, that's, that's what, those were the smells of the, it, it, it reminds me, have y'all ever heard of mandals? You know what a mandal is? A mandal is a, men, a man's candle. Seriously, Google it. You, you can find them. Uh, men, candles for men. They come in all kinds of uh, aromas. There's bacon aroma. There's um, auto shop aroma. They have these different aromas for men. Um, mandals. So there, maybe somebody should come up with a real live nativity candle smell. Because it would not have been anything like our, you know, cinnamon spice apple kind of smell. It wasn't real. It was it was very, very different. It was surprisingly so. Now, sometimes we don't notice that because we're so familiar with the story. So for just a few moments, if you would, I would like for us to dive in to some of the surprises in this, this Christmas story and ask the question, why? Why, God? What were you doing here? Why, why Nazareth? Why, why Bethlehem? Why, why Mary and Joseph? And I'm, I'm not coming at this today from going back and looking at all the Old Testament prophecies that answered those why questions. I want to come at it from your real life, where, where, what you're facing today. And look at those surprises in light uh, uh, of your life because I believe that God wants you to see in the surprises of the Christmas story how much he truly loves you. Jesus wants you to know how great his love for you is. So we're going to look at three surprises. There are others, but just three. First of all, because of his great love, Jesus understands you more than you know. This is a surprise that you can come to see in the Christmas story the way that Jesus came, that Jesus understands you more than you know. See, Jesus understands what you're going through more than you think he does. And one of the reasons is because he came in such a humble way. He was making a statement of the fact that he knows what real life on earth is like. That, you know, you see those bumper stickers that says life is good? Well, yeah, for the most part, but not always. The truth is life is hard. God is always good. Always good. And Jesus came so in the way that he did to identify with our struggles. You know, we, we would assume, again, from a humanistic perspective, that the Christmas story would be problem-free and always completely comfortable, but it's not. 
It's just one struggle after another struggle after another struggle after another struggle. When Jesus left heaven, he didn't, you know, exempt himself from the problems of this life. Instead, the Bible shows us that he was born into human struggle. You know, he could have been born of a princess in a palace, but he didn't take advantage of his privilege to do that. He's born to a poor teenage girl in a backwood town, and he's laid in an animal feeding trough. That's Jesus. He, he, why? Well, I think it's because he wants to say to some of us this Christmas, I know what it's like. I know what you're going through. I know the struggle that you're in. You know, truthfully, there are some that are part of our river family who are struggling in crazy ways this, this Christmas season. Some struggling financially, and they're pretty discouraged right now because they thought this Christmas was going to be a little different. And I think Jesus would say to you, if you find yourself there, I know what that's like. I know what it's like to be poor and to struggle. I never had a place to lay my head. Jesus knows. Or, or maybe you would say, you know, it just feels like in my life I just can't catch a break. There always feel like there's two strikes against me. I can't, I can't get ahead. I thought, I thought I would be at a better place at this time this year than I was last year, and it's not any better. And I think Jesus might say, I know what that's like. Remember, I spent, I spent my first night in, in a stable. Or maybe this time of the year, the holidays, you may feel like you're going to be around some family that don't get you, don't understand you, um, maybe don't understand your devotion to Jesus, and it's a struggle. And, you know, in those places, you need to hear Jesus say, I understand. I know what that's like. There was a day when my mom and my, my brothers came to get me because they thought I'd kind of lost it when I began my ministry. So I know what it's like to be rejected and maybe even mocked by, by your own family. Or maybe, maybe you have friends that you were counting on to be there for you this Christmas and, and you feel like they've just kind of turned their backs on you. Jesus would say, I understand. I know, I know what that's like. You know, the, the World Health Organization came out recently uh, telling us that right now there is a pandemic of loneliness. And they're going to try to address it. I don't know, I, I have no idea how they're going to step into that. But they're, they're saying they're going to try to address it. I, I, don't, I can't think of a feeling that's more shattering than, than loneliness. And Jesus could say, I know what that's like. I was abandoned by my closest friends in my greatest hour of need. I know what it's like to feel lonely. See, he didn't exempt himself from these things. He, he lived them, he felt them, he experienced them. And there's a reason why that matters, why this surprise in the Christmas story matters. Look with me at Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4 tells us something about Jesus. But Jesus, the Son of God, is our great high priest who has gone to heaven itself to help us. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses since he had the same temptations we do though he never once gave way to them in sin. So let us come boldly to the very throne of God and stay there to receive his mercy and to find grace to help us in our times of need. See, Jesus came the way he did in this surprising way to live in what we live in, to go through what we go through because he has felt the pain and troubles and challenges that we we all face the bible says he's now in heaven empathizing with us he gets you he knows your your pain and your sorrow and your challenges and he knows what it was like it's what the book of hebrews is trying to tell us here and because of that he's approachable you can go to him with your struggle and with your sorrow. You can take your needs to him in prayer and be confident that he will hear you empathetically and he will answer your prayer that way. See, 
Do you see how this miracle, this surprise at Christmas makes all the difference because of the way that Jesus was born in that first Christmas? You know, you, you can't turn on the news right now without, without seeing the scenes that are being played out over in Israel. And so often, every time I do anyway, you, there's a scene of a, of a heartbroken parent running somewhere, carrying the body of their child, looking for medical attention. Or there's the scene of uh, a grieving mom who has lost a child in, in all that's going on over in Israel. You, you just can't help but, but see it. And, you know, and as I watch it, I can't help but think about my, my, my grandkids who are precious to me. And you can't help but do that. Or maybe to think about your own kids do you, and, and just kind of put yourself in that, that place. As I was watching uh, about a week and a half ago, um, one of those scenes, uh, a thought came back to my mind. And it was something that happened when we were still Midland Park Baptist Church. Um, it was very early in my ministry. Uh, Kurt just reminded me that I am now an old man too, um, was kind of the way he categorized me earlier. This happened a long time ago um, when I was still a young man and pretty young in ministry. And we had an Air Force family begin visiting with us. And uh, the mother gave birth to um, uh, their first child, a son, who was born with severe birth defects. And they were told that the child wouldn't live very long. And our hearts just kind of lives got connected with uh, that couple, and um, so when the child died, they asked me, would I come to North Carolina, where they were from, uh, to do the funeral? And it, it was like the first funeral I'd ever done for a child, but one of the first funerals I'd ever really done on, on my own. And so I agreed to go, and I went up the night before and um, went to the visitation, and that night, I was spending the night at her parents' house. Um, they had me as a guest, and around the dinner table, this, this precious mom said that if it wasn't for knowing that her heavenly father knew what she was going through, she didn't think she could make it. But she, she knew that God empathized with her position because he had experienced the same loss that she was experiencing. And it brought her comfort to know that her God, who that she was running to in her greatest time of need, had empathy for her could feel her pain. See, he knows. He knows your sorrow. He knows your struggle. He knows your pain. He knows what it's like. And so one of the great surprises at Christmas is knowing that Jesus can understand you more than you could ever think. A second great truth that we see in the surprises at Christmas is this, is because of his great love, Jesus cares for you more than you know. I believe that one of the ways that you can tell how much somebody loves you is what they would be willing to sacrifice for you in order to express that love. You know, I don't know whether you think that's accurate. That's just one of the ways I think you can measure a, a person's love for you is by how much they're willing to sacrifice. And so Jesus is born into this world, and he doesn't sacrifice as little as possible. He sacrifices as much as possible. He doesn't go from heaven to a palace. He goes from heaven to an animal pen. He sacrifices so much. And in doing so, I think he's making a statement about how much he is willing to do to show you how much he cares for you, how much, how much he loves you. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi about how much Jesus gave up. Look at Philippians chapter 2 with me. Paul writes, think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity, and he took the status of a slave and became human. Having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't 
claim, special privileges. Paul is saying that the time when Jesus came, he didn't hang on to his deity. He didn't claim all the privileges of heaven, that he set all those aside, literally making himself nothing in comparison. Why? Why did Jesus choose to come that way? Well, one reason, obviously, from what Paul said was to set an example when he calls us to humility. But also, I believe, he came that way at Christmas to make a clear statement of how much he cares for us. One of the, I've been reading uh, several different devotionals for Advent, and uh, one of them that I read, uh, they're, you know, they have different writers, uh, and they share different personal stories to kind of uh, turn your attention to the thought that day. And the, the day that I was reading was on sacrifice. And the man who was writing it shared a personal story of when he was first married. Um, and his wife was preparing uh, them a meal. And he was situated in such a way that he could see what she was doing. And he saw as she went to the refrigerator and she pulled out uh, a two-liter bottle of Coke that was almost empty. And then she got a new bottle of of Coke, and she went and put them on the counter, and she poured that week-old flat Coke into a cup, and then she opened the new bottle, and she poured new, fresh, fizzy Coke in the other cup, and he said, sorry, but the truth is, it crossed my mind, wonder which cup she's going to give me, and so he went in, and sure enough, she took that flat Coke for herself and gave him the fresh Coke. And he said, as stupid as it sounds, he doesn't think he ever felt more love than in that moment because she was willing to make a sacrifice. And it was just Coke. Friends, Jesus gave up everything for you. He sacrificed everything so that you would know how much you are, are loved the depth of his love for you. It's greater than Coke. It really is. And see, this is part of the surprise of the Christmas story, is seeing how much Jesus sacrificed for you to tell you he loves you and he cares for you. One last thing that I think we can learn from the surprise. There are other things, but just one more I want to talk about this morning. And it's this, is because of his great love, Jesus can do more than you realize. Jesus is capable of doing more than you realize. See, when we're surprised by all the circumstances of Christmas because we would expect, you know, different choices to be made, a bigger city, a, a more prominent person, you know, to be his stepdad or the mother of, of God's son, you know, why does he do that? Well, one of the reasons I think God does it is because he can because he's God. He doesn't need all the extra trappings of this world. He doesn't need everything that we think is so very, very important. He can come into any situation that seems utterly impossible, and he can turn it into the miracle of Christmas with the least of things. God has that capacity. And friends, he still does. He still has, he's still the same God. He's never changed. He can, he can come to that person who's walking around today who doesn't think that they have very much to offer. And through you, he can change the world. He can change the world through your life. And so we read the story and we think, you know, why Mary? Why Joseph? Why Nazareth? Why, why Bethlehem? And here's a reason I'd say is the very thing that you think in your life right now that's too difficult for God, through the surprise of Christmas, God wants you to know there's nothing that disqualifies you to be a part of his great story. There's nothing that disqualifies you to invite his power into your life to see transformation, because he's all about that. He's all about coming into places of weakness and humility to demonstrate his power and his strength. You know, on paper, Mary did not look impressive. No special accomplishments to get our attention. 
you know, we don't know a whole lot about her, but one thing we do know about her was that she had a humble spirit. So when the angel Gabriel showed up to her and, and told her this, you know, incredible news, Mary's immediate response is, I'm the servant of the Lord. Be it done to me at your word. I mean, she, she's just so humble. She, she goes to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And when she gets there, Elizabeth is so excited that she starts to praise Mary because she's been the chosen one. And look at Mary's response to Elizabeth. She says this in Luke 1, my soul, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's just so humble because she knows God. You know, if I had to confess, which I'm apparently about to do, to you, one of the areas in my life that having kind of come through what I came through back this summer has begun teaching me in new ways. And I wish that I could say that I already knew it, but I'm learning it in fresh ways. And I need to learn it more is to go to God when I need help for everything. The big things, the little things, the things that seem impossible I just need to go to God first because he knows what to do. There, there are still pieces in my own life of brokenness that I can't put back together on my own. And I need to be going to God more frequently than I do. And Mary, she just humbly puts her life out and says, God, I trust you. God, I give myself over to your power, to your plans and it's interesting because she could have been prideful. You know, she gets this news, you know, the angel comes and she says, the angel says, out of every woman in the whole wide world, God picks you. I mean, that would be something to kind of get a little puffed up about, you know, could be a source of pride. What other mother could say she raised the perfect son? Only Mary. Kevin Kugler, your mama can't say that. You know? My mama, you know, she, was, she wouldn't have said that. She loved me, but she knew I wasn't perfect. Mary could have been proud. Mary could have put this bumper sticker on the back of her, back of her donkey. My son created your honor roll student. You know, she could, she could, have, she could have gotten proud, but she didn't. We constantly see the spirit of humility because she understood who she was in the sight of God and she understood who God is. She knew who God is. She knew that there was nothing special that qualified her for this blessing. And friends, this would be a challenge to you and to me this Christmas. You know, if you want God to surprise you this Christmas, if you want that, ask for his help. Acknowledge your weakness like Mary did. She just acknowledged that she was just a humble servant. And I'll, I'll tell you, for some of us, that's very hard to do. It's hard to do. You know, we go to great lengths to, to hide our, our weaknesses. We're even trained in it. I read that one of the, the great fears of people who are hunting for jobs is going into an interview and have somebody ask them, what is your greatest weakness? Because that's kind of, you know, scary for a moment because, you know, if you don't have an answer for them, they're going to think you're arrogant. And if you answer them in a certain way, they may think you're not competent for employment in this job. And so you can go online, Google this. They'll, websites will give you suggestions on how to handle this. One of the suggestions that I read said this. It said, when they asked that, Give them something real that has nothing to do with the job you're applying for. So like, let's say that you were applying to be an accountant in a firm. That the kind of answer that you would want to give them would be an answer something like, yeah, my greatest weakness. You know, I struggle with the proper operation of chainsaws. Has nothing to do with being an accountant, you know. But here's, when you look at that, you know, it does sound a little silly. But here's the deal with that. We're being trained to not point out our weaknesses. 
We're, we're, just, we're being trained uh, all the time not to be humble, not to be real with, with who we are. See, we're, we're, we've learned how to do that. But what we see Mary doing is just saying, this is the truth about me. I, I'm just, I'm a humble servant, God. I'm just, I'm a humble gal. It was a spirit of humility. So, friends, as we see the surprises of this first Christmas, we can learn that we can put our trust in the power of God because of his great love. There are people that I follow um, on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter. Um, And one guy that I follow uh, asked a question uh, of people that were kind of his followers. He asked them to respond to this, and it had to do with how they might have been surprised by God's power in their lives. And, And so he said, how about just finish this sentence? By the power of God, I blanked. And so these were some of the responses. By the power of God, one guy said, I forgave my dad finally. Another person said, I I overcame uh, and and forgave my ex-husband of his infidelity. By the power of God, we've adopted two children from Ethiopia. By the power of God, I was cured of incurable cancer. And then on and on, by the power of God, I was healed of of addiction. I was healed of uh, sexual addiction and eating disorder. On and on, these by the power of God statements kind of began flooding back in by the power of God. I I pray that somehow this season God will help you fill in that blank where you need it in your life. That you will see the power of God that he will show up in a dramatic way. But that begins by you taking that Hebrews 4 path and asking for his help by taking it to his throne of grace in prayer, knowing that God is waiting, that Jesus who knows you and loves you is waiting to meet you with grace and mercy. See, God didn't bring Jesus into the world to be born into a wealthy family because then people could say, ah, yeah, that's what money can do. And he didn't have him born into a family of political prominence because people would then say yeah that's what that's what power can do god had his son born to a poor teenager and a poor stepdad in the most backwoods place on the planet and the only conclusion that you can really reach is look what god can do look what god can do in the most challenging circumstances, look what God can do in that moment, in that situation. And so I want to close with a question. It's a big question for Christmas, if you would. And in the, the, the question is a big word. It normally wouldn't look like the biggest word in the sentence or in the question, but I want you to think about it this way with me. How do I experience God's surprising love this Christmas, this Christmas, not some other Christmas, not, not a Christmas that I had imagined in my mind, not a Christmas that looks different from the Christmas that I'm going to face, but this Christmas, not under some other circumstance, but these circumstances. You see, I'm the person that I am with the body that I have, with the family that I have, with the sickness or disease that I have, with the challenges that I face, with the family turmoil that I, I, I may have. Now, I can wish, I can spend my life wishing it was different. I, I, I could do that. But here's what won't happen. You will not meet God in that imaginary place. You will only meet God in this place, in this Christmas, in this life that you currently have in this moment. In that great book, um, Divine Conspiracy, that Dallas Willard wrote, he writes these words. He said, first we must accept the circumstances we constantly find ourselves in as the place of God's kingdom and blessing. God has yet to bless anyone except 
where they actually are. And if we faithlessly discard situation after situation, moment after moment as not being right, we will simply have no place to receive his kingdom into our life. For those situations and moments are our life. Friends, we have to put our trust in him in this, in this Christmas, in this life that God has given you, in this challenge that you're facing, in this marriage that's struggling, in, in this uh, financial realm that you're struggling with, in this situation. I'm going to ask the worship team if you'll begin making your way up here because we're going to close our service. See, this Christmas... You know, I'm, I'm praying. Well, let me say this. This Christmas, God may give you everything that you ask, ask for. If you've got a list, he may give you everything on your list. What you're praying for, he, he may give you all of that. I don't know. But here's what I know I am praying for for you and for me. That he'll do something better. Something better than's on your list. Something better that's better than what you've prayed for. I'm asking God this Christmas to surprise you with his power, with his presence. And that will require you to go to him in prayer so that he can surprise you with a great miracle in your life this Christmas. Pray with me. Lord, we, we come... We come giving thanks at the way you chose to come at Christmas so that we would know something of your great love, that we would know something of your great power to step into the simplest of circumstances to bring the greatest blessing the world's ever known, to come into challenges, to come into problems and put yourself in the middle of those so we would know that you can sympathize where we're at in this life that we have right now. So Father, I pray for my friends in this room. I pray for those who are watching online today. I pray, God, that they would meet your power this Christmas in that way they need it most. I pray, God, for a miraculous release of your love that your people would see, God, the miracle of your love at Christmas now. Father, we come now to worship you, to thank you, to celebrate your great miracle of love at Christmas. And Jesus, it's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.